Hello, and welcome to Someday We'll All Be Dead, a podcast where we talk about all the things with a social work slant. I'm your host, Hallie Harris. We're going to start our debut episode off right in the deep end, and we're going to get into what hospice is and what it means for you and your family. We're going to talk about hospice because it's important. It's because some people just can't have that conversation about death and dying, but we're all going to do it. That's the name of this podcast. I mean, it's true. You can't escape death. You may even be able to escape your taxes, but we're just not to the point of finding that fountain of youth yet. So at one point or another, we're all going to find ourselves facing that. And if you are lucky, as many people wish, um, they'll find themselves peacefully drift away in their sleep. Unfortunately, that's, you know not going to happen to everyone. Some people are going to have to go through a disease process before they come to the end. And that's why it's important to talk about hospice. So I want to start out today with talking about some definitions. And we're going to talk about first palliative care. So palliative care is end of life care. It's focused on comfort rather than treatment. And it does require a terminal diagnosis. However, the prognosis for that terminal diagnosis could be a year or even five years. Now, when I say prognosis, I mean it's merely an educated guess. It's a likely trajectory of what your disease process is. There's no guarantees and everyone reacts differently to their disease. So someone's same disease could be two months for one person and a year and a half for another. There's a lot of different factors and it's important throughout this process to talk to your doctor about your specifics. Within palliative care, there's something called hospice care, and that's what we're going to focus on today. So hospice care is that subset of palliative care that is for a prognosis of six months or less. Now again, this prognosis is just an educated guess. It doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be deceased in six months, and it doesn't mean that you'll last an entire six months either. Again, it really depends on when you get diagnosed, what your disease is, and how your body reacts to it. It's important to also know that that six months or less isn't a limit of your hospice benefit. So when I say hospice benefit, I mean the benefit that you're going to elect to use to pay for that hospice care. Hospice benefit is usually Medicare because hopefully we've lived a good long life and We're into our Medicare years when we need hospice. So you would elect the hospice benefit under Medicare. But if you're not old enough for that, you may have some kind of insurance like Blue Cross Blue Shield, in which case they have a similar hospice benefit. Most insurances are going to cover that, and we'll get into that a little bit later. It's also important to remember that there's no limits of how many times you can come on and off hospice. So if you come on, to hospice and maybe you've had a little bit of pneumonia and it looks like you might not last very long and then you get better and you graduate hospice or they say you know what your prognosis doesn't look like six months or less so you would discuss that with your care team you would look at a discharge plan and then you can come back onto hospice when you have uh, another disease decline or something else happens There's no limit to how many times you can come off on and off. There are certification periods, but that's mostly behind the scenes and that's for your hospice care team to worry about. 
It's also important to remember that you have the right to revoke hospice care or your hospice benefit at any time. So let's say you come on to hospice because you have cancer and your doctor has told you that there's no more treatments available or they've told you that there's a treatment but you're not really thinking you want to try that treatment. If in another month or so it's determined that you're still healthy or well enough to be able to try that treatment and you want to try it, you absolutely have the right to revoke that benefit, go back onto your original insurance and go have that treatment. And then if it doesn't work or it's been many years and it did work for a while and your disease has come back, then you can come back and use that hospice benefit. Throughout this podcast, I'm going to say hospice a lot and I'm going to mean that you're getting hospice care or that you're using that hospice benefit. Those are kind of an interchangeable term for me during this. Now that we have some definitions in place, I want to talk about a little bit of myth. I am going to do another episode on all the myths of hospice and hospice care, but I just specifically want to touch on a myth that I've heard most frequently, and that is that people think that hospice is just for your last few days and that they think that morphine is used for euthanasia. So... We'll start with hospice is only for your last few days. That, as you've just heard the definition, is not accurate. However, a scenario when that might happen is when someone has either gotten a really late prognosis and it's a very quick trajectory, they didn't know they were sick, and all of a sudden it's stage four cancer. Um, They may even start to be in the active dying stages. Sometimes also people are in denial about where they're at and they don't want hospice until the very end. And by the time they're ready for hospice, then they may only have a week or even a few days um, to be on hospice services. So in that case, there may be a time when morphine, um, which is the most common that you'll hear about, gets used for symptom management. And to a family that's grieving, that can really look like, hey, they just give my family member morphine and bam, they died um, that day or a couple days later. And it may seem to them that morphine caused the death when in reality, the person was likely dying in that day or in those moments. And that morphine was simply just to treat symptoms. It's certainly understandable why people might see it that way. And it's understandable that they would tell their friends, hey, you know, Hospice is just for this end stage, but it's really not. That's not the goal of hospice care. Hospice care is about holistic care. We want to make sure that we're taking care of the whole you. You, the family, the patient, everyone involved in your care. And we want to make sure you're taking care of not just physical needs, but emotional and spiritual as well. And that's why you have a care team. Now I'm going to talk about standards of care for Medicare standards in just a minute. But since I just mentioned care team, when I mean when I say care team, I mean you'll have a nurse, a social worker, a spiritual care counselor, a doctor or someone that might be called the hospice medical director. And then you'll also have healthcare aides and a volunteer available. Those are all part of the standards of care that are required. And I'll get into that in just a little bit here. But I want to bring back um, the idea that there are actually different hospices. Often people will um, think that hospice is universal and that it's across the country and it's all the same and it's not. 
you really need to do some investigating if you have the time and you're able to to see what hospices are in your area because there are many different hospices and so it's important for you to know what's the best care for your loved one or yourself so there are private hospices not-for-profit hospices for-profit hospices and non-profit hospices all of them in theory should be running by basic medicare standards um, that's what we all use but it's important to find that out and find out if they're actually Medicare certified. That way you know for a fact that there's nothing shady going on and um, that they're all running by the same standards. That's not to say that for-profit hospices aren't good. It's just important to know what's in your service area and find out what those benefits are for that particular hospice. Just ask. Ask the questions. You can Google hospice and there's a million different websites with all the pertinent um, questions. So you just look in your area Sometimes in a real urban setting, you'll have several different hospices to choose from. In a more rural setting, it's usually only one or two, depending on how big the area is and how rural it is. So you just have to look and see what's in your area. And you can always ask your primary care doctor as well. You should also never be afraid to ask friends and family. Have they used a hospice in the area and how was their service? And if you know more than one person that has used that hospice, that's probably a pretty good indicator. I referred earlier to Medicare standards. So when I'm talking about Medicare standards, that's that Medi Medicare benefit of hospice. It does include all coverage of all of your care related to your hospice diagnosis. And when I say related diagnosis, I mean, for example, if you had cancer and you have diabetes and the diabetes is not contributing anything to your cancer, then your cancer is a related diagnosis, which is covered by that Medicare or other insurance hospice benefit. And the non-related disease, which would be the diabetes in this example, is covered by your regular insurance, whatever that is that you have right now. So it could be Medicare Part A, or it could be Blue Cross Blue Shield, it could be uh, Medicaid, whatever you're getting your insurance through that will be covered by all that standard. So it's just important to remember related versus non-related diagnosis. And while you're on hospice care, everything that that benefit includes are all medications that are related to your hospice diagnosis, which is all of those comfort meds that I was uh, partially referring to is that morphine. And it could be many other things, uh, all durable medical equipment, and that would be something like a hospital bed, a bedside commode, a wheelchair, a walker, uh, anything like that is going to be covered under that hospice benefit. And then your core team, which I talked about earlier, the nurse, the social worker, spiritual care, a doctor, aides, and volunteer, on-call services 24-7. That means they have to have someone available to you to be on call to answer your questions at all times. And being able to use your own primary care physician as part of the team, that is up to you as you decide to go on to hospice, whether you want your primary care doctor to be included in that. Uh, one of the benefits of that is if you're not 100% sure um, that you're going to actually expire in six months or less, it may be a good idea to keep that primary care doctor in the loop because if you actually did graduate, as we call it, or discharge from hospice, then you're still in their care plan. Sometimes it's a little difficult to get back in with that primary care doctor if you've left them um, just to go straight on to hospice with the hospice doctor um, controlling and managing your care. 
And then you also have to have bereavement support. That is all part of the Medicare standards, is that aftercare for your family and loved ones. And lastly, I'm going to talk about respite care. That is a requirement that has to be available through your hospice benefit. And a good way to understand respite care is if you're at home and you're being cared for by your loved ones, friends, family, whoever that is, and they feel like they're starting to get maybe a little bit burned out because it's a lot of care and it's hard work, or maybe they have to go out of town. Maybe one of their grandchildren is having a baby, or maybe there's another family emergency they need to leave town for. For, for whatever reason, um, you are allowed to have up to five days at a skilled nursing facility, and that five-day stay is covered by your hospice benefit. To get more details about that, it's important just to talk to your hospice team when that is uh, something you need to know about. I want to mention also the differences in the hospices. I mentioned how they're run and how they're governed, but another important thing to note about your hospices are, first of all, payment scales. So I already said that your hospice benefit through Medicare, that is 100% covered. Uh, if you have other insurances, most of the time they are covered, aside from your normal co-pays that you already are paying. Uh, but if you can't pay for hospice services, there are generally ways that hospice have uh, for you to pay, whether that's a reduced scale fee or even a foundation that they might have. And within that hospice, uh, that foundation might actually offer other services or perks, such as allied therapies. And allied therapies would be something like massage therapy or music therapy, maybe pet therapy. Um, and maybe even some atypical treatments. Sometimes things like transfusions are used when they're normally a treatment option. Uh, sometimes they're used for symptom management. So it's important to talk to a hospice in your area and see what they are uh, able to cover and what they're not able to cover. So what hospice benefit does not cover? I like to really make sure when I'm telling people about hospice, that they know what it does not include because I don't want someone to be surprised. That's the last thing they need to be worried about when they sign up for hospice and think that it's one thing and then become very disappointed or disillusioned when it's not. So hospice benefit does not cover room and board. That five-day respite stay is an exception. Some people may have heard about uh, Medicare stays in a skilled nursing facility, but that is for rehab and it's only for 90 days and you have to qualify for that. That has nothing to do with hospice care uh, or comfort care. So if you've heard that you can go straight from the hospital to a facility from, uh, with Medicare paying for that, you really need to talk to your doctor about the specifics of your situation. But that is not covered under a hospice benefit in any room and board, whether it is a skilled nursing facility, assisted living, or an adult family home, that would not be covered. Those are almost always private pay, unless you have Medicaid. And then oftentimes those kind of facilities will have a certain number of beds that will take Medicaid payments. Medicare and hospice benefit also does not cover caregiving. So caregiving are those daily tasks of living. Things like brushing your teeth, putting your clothes on, feeding yourself, showering yourself. Those kind of things are caregiving tasks and those are not covered by your hospice benefit. I so desperately wish that they were 
but they are not. So if you need help doing your daily tasks of living, then you're either going to have to rely on a loved one or you're going to have to look at privately paying for uh, caregiving support, whether that's privately or whether it's through an agency. Now, there are other options. If you're on Medicaid, you can look at a COPES program and that will give you a certain number of hours. It will never cover 24-hour coverage. Um, if you have a long-term care insurance plan, that also will cover uh, some caregiving costs. Those are pretty expensive up front, but uh, if you end up needing care for long-term, that can really work out to your benefit as caregiving is very expensive. And when I say very expensive, I mean it can be upwards of ten dollars to $20,000 a month. So I know that's a big number. I hope maybe you were sitting down listening to that. Uh, it can be really scary. It's not always that much, um, but it's something to think about when you're planning for your future. Um, the VA, if you were a veteran, you may be eligible for VA caregiving. That is only if you are part of the healthcare system. And then if you're eligible for that, you have to be eligible then for the home health aid caregiving program. Now they will contract through an agency that is similar to COPES where it will not provide 24 hour caregiving, but it can provide, I think the last I heard was maybe somewhere around 140 hours a month. So um, important to know that that may be an option for you if you're a veteran, but you do have to go through some hoops. Uh, and if you're not already in the healthcare system, you have to apply to the VA healthcare system and then apply for the home health program. And that is all VA discretionary. They're the ones that make the decision whether you are eligible and how many hours you get. You can ask your care team about that if that's something you want to look into. The last thing I want to talk about what the hospice benefit does not cover is treatment intended to cure and prescriptions not related to your hospice diagnosis. So I mentioned uh, transfusions earlier. Treatment intended to cure would be something like chemotherapy. So it would not be what insurance you would use. You wouldn't be on the hospice program if you were still wanting to cure your disease. It's when you've exhausted those options, then you're going to look at your hospice benefit. And prescriptions not related, we'll go back to the cancer and diabetes example, where prescriptions related to the diabetes would co be covered by your original insurance. So I did mention some specialties to hospices, like the allied therapies, but I did not mention hospice house, which many people have heard about. Again, hospice house is a term that's used across the country, but they're not all the same. So some hospices are connected to what's called a hospice house. It is generally a pretty small facility with limited number of beds, and it is also generally used only for the last week of life. It is not something I would plan on using as a primary option and plan A for your end of life care because oftentimes you can't get in or the hospices in your area don't actually have one. So that's something else to look into, but I definitely would not use that as plan A. Um, DNRs and posts in hospice. That's the next topic I want to say. Uh, DNR is do not resuscitate order. And that's something that's found on a pulse. You may have seen one. They're a bright green form. They are physician orders for life-sustaining treatment. 
There's a few different things on the pulse form, like whether or not you want tube feeding or if you want antibiotics. Uh, but the main focus usually for people on a pulse is if they want CPR. So it's very important to talk to your doctor and your care team about whether or not CPR is even going to work for you. And if it is something that you want to talk about as far as staying a full code, which means you do want CPR, then you need to know what exactly are going to be the repercussions for using that. For example, cracked ribs are often uh, what happens when you do CPR and it's not like the movies. It doesn't always work. It doesn't always work right away. And it doesn't mean that you'll be in the same or better condition than whatever happened before you needed CPR. So it's important to get the facts before you make a decision. Healthcare durable powers of attorney. So if you haven't heard this term before, but you may have just heard the term power of attorney, there are some differences. Powers of attorney can be specific or they can be durable. Specific powers of attorney may be used for military people that are deployed, may use a specific power of attorney to sell a house, for example. They are still decisional, but they're just not in the area and they need someone to do something for them or in their place. A durable power of attorney, and specifically for this podcast, we're talking about healthcare durable powers of attorney. That is for when you are not able to make decisions for yourself anymore and you need someone to represent your interests and healthcare decisions. Uh, not only is it important to have one, it's important for so many reasons. It's important because you need someone to speak up for you when you're not able to. It's important to not put someone else in that position to guess what your choices might be. Uh, it's important to have those conversations and know that your care wishes are going to be upheld by whoever you choose. So certainly talk to whoever you're going to choose, whether it's a spouse or whether it's a child, so that they know what your wishes are, especially when it comes to life-sustaining treatments, because they may be the ones that decide what's going to happen to you. I want to also end this with calling 911. So when you're on hospice, your care team can generally treat your symptoms 99% of the time in the home or facility or wherever you're at that you're receiving care. So it's important to talk to your team about when would be appropriate to call 911. Mostly it's important because your care team does not want you to get stuck with a bill because of the way that, and I'm going to again, again, use the example of Medicare because of the way they bill. If you or your family choose to call 911, that is still your right. But just be aware that you may end up with that bill from that hospital ride or hospital stay if they choose to admit you. If you break a leg, you're obviously going to be going to the hospital. But um, call, your care, call your care team. Make sure they approve that, that visit and that ride in the ambulance so that you're not stuck with that bill. That's something that can stay under their plan of care. If it's something where you're having some symptom management issues and your care team had determined that they could have treated that at home and you chose not to revoke your benefit and just to call 911, well, then you might get stuck with that bill. And I totally understand that we have been conditioned to call 911 since we were able to speak, since we were able to understand. It's call 911 if anything goes wrong. It's a really hard habit to get out of. 
And so it's important to talk to your care team and get that confidence to know that they're going to be there when you need them to be and what they can and can't do. Um, you are able to call 911 and ask for a citizen's assist. If it's something where your loved one falls out of bed and you just need help assisting them back up, you're still going to want to call your care team to let them know so that they can follow up and make sure there was um, nothing else or there's not a trend of falling. Certainly the fire department would not appreciate if you continue to use them as caregiving support every day. But if it's a one-time thing or once every you know, blue moon that you needed to call for assistance, that is there for a reason. You just still need to communicate with your care team and let them know what's going on. So final thoughts and summary about hospice. Hospice doesn't have to be a four-letter word. It can be a great management tool for your care. It can help out your loved ones to support you in your last days or months or weeks or however long it is that you have. It's a benefit that is mostly, if not 100% free to you, and there's no reason not to be comfortable in your last days. So let them be there for you. They're there. They're paid by whatever means, whatever kind of hospital it is. But generally those workers are there because they're called to do that work. It's important to know what your benefits are, what your options are, and what you can do to support your loved ones, whether it's you needing hospice or them. It's just uh, something we're all going to have to face. So whether you want to talk about death and dying at some point, which I'm sure we will in this podcast, then you know, you should know about hospice, regardless how much conversation you want to have before you need it. It's not the time to find out about hospice when you have to go on to hospice. You want to educate yourself and at least know a little bit about it and know what the myths are, which, like I said, will be a later episode so we can make sure that you do know what's what's true and what's not. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact me at contact at we'll all be dead podcast.com. You can check me out on Facebook at uh, Facebook slash someday we'll all be dead. And we can check out our website at we'll all be dead podcast.com. I hope you all take care of yourselves and be gentle because you never know what battles people are facing. And ultimately, you want to pick those battles because will it really matter in five days or five weeks or five months? Because someday we'll all be dead. <laughs>